Father, we are uh, sobered as we have been studying the history of this divided nation of Israel and Judah. They, uh, they existed because you initiated a covenant with Abraham. You sought him out. He didn't seek you. And you blessed this man beyond his wildest dreams, and you offered to bless his descendants if they would only trust you and walk by faith and allow you to be the Lord of their lives. Lord, uh, you have been gracious to allow those who are not physical Jews to enter into your kingdom and your covenant as well. Uh, that takes place by something that happens in our hearts, once again, that you initiate. And we are, we are grateful, Lord, for these uh, history lessons. So often, uh, history is dry, and it's dull, and it's boring. Uh, for many of us, that's our remembrance of uh, uh, history class with, with a professor or a teacher who, who really wasn't interested in it to begin with, whose mind was somewhere else. Uh, it, it was a boring time. But, but Father, as we're looking into the lives of these kings, this, this is anything but boring. Uh, it, 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 it gets our attention because these men were men just as we are men. And they lived their lives, and they had pressures, and they had wives, and they had children, and they had responsibilities, and they had decisions, and their integrity was on the line just uh, like us. A, a nation is only as strong as its families. Uh, that was true back then. It, it is true now. A nation is only as strong as its male leaders. That was true back then. It's true now. We pray, Lord, for ourselves as we're studying this uh, history lesson of Judah and Israel. We, we see, Lord, we're, we're standing back now. We're separated by uh, the centuries, and we can see the spiritual deterioration. It was, it was steady. It was sure. Now and then, a man would follow after you. It reminds us of our days. We are grieved to see the nonsense. We are grieved to see the foolishness. Uh, we are grieved to see the flat-out disobedience and unrighteousness which ignores you and ignores your word and ignores your law. So we ask for mercy. We pray for our president. Uh, we've had a significant decision made in Massachusetts. We've had, a, quite frankly, a foolish decision made and an ungodly decision. And lines are being drawn. Now we pray for our president that you would give him great wisdom to be clear and to be forthright and to lead from the scriptures. He's done that in so many ways. We're grateful for him. We pray that he'll continue. Uh, for the uh, spiritual leaders that will talk with him this week, and there are those that talk with him on a weekly basis, may he hear them. Uh, may they encourage him. May they talk to him uh, uh, in, in terms of encouraging him to follow the Lord as Nathan encouraged David throughout his life. So, Lord, we, uh, we bring our nation to you. 
We also pray for our friend Taylor and Pastor Taylor, uh, who's been going through a difficult time with his family, with the passing of his brother. His mother's still dealing with physical issues. Uh, that brings extra responsibilities now with this funeral. Lord, we commit Taylor and his family. Do you give them strength? Give them exactly what they need as a family. This is a time when families pull together and, and where the fact that we are built upon the rock makes a difference. So give Taylor grace and uh, give his family comfort and give them the assurance, Lord, uh, that it's at times of death where Christianity, the truth of it, is, is absolutely our bedrock. Instruct us now, we pray tonight, Lord Jesus, and we ask these things in your name. Amen. A cardiologist was working late one night, just had so much paperwork. As he was at his desk, suddenly a man walked in the door. The man said, Doctor, I'm, I'm desperate. I'm desperate. I, I, I think I'm a moth. Cardiologist looked at him and said, "You're not a you're not a moth. You're a man." He said, I, "I I think I'm a moth." He said, "Listen, you don't need a cardiologist. You need a psychiatrist." The man said, "Yes, I know." Cardiologist said, "Well, if you know, then what are you doing in here?" The man said, "Well, I saw your light on." I wasn't sure that was going to work or not. I'm still not sure if it worked. Uh, we have been looking at these kings. We've been looking at uh, the history of Israel and Judah. Uh, we've been calling this uh, living lessons or life lessons from dead kings. Um, there was a light that was given to Israel. And uh, this is a time as we study the history where the light was going out and things were getting very, very dark. You know, uh, I, this is our eighth session, I believe, I, I believe, since we started here in the, back in August. Um, and except for Ahab, you remember Ahab, uh, and Jeroboam, and maybe one other exception, most of the guys we're, we've been looking at have been the bright spots uh, in these two nations. We've been looking at the best and the brightest, if you can believe that. And quite frankly, these guys had great flaws, and they made some huge errors, and uh, even the best of them left much to be desired. Um, it was a time of spiritual darkness. It was a time of spiritual deterioration. Um, uh, we're seeing that in our country. We're seeing that in our nation. So, so what is the solution, and what is the answer? Uh, the solution and the answer is for God to work in the hearts of individual men and to work in the hearts of uh, those men in their marriages and in their relationship with their children. And then that begins to impact uh, their, their community. And, uh, you know, what is a church? Have you ever thought about that? A church is just individual family units is what it is. And again, even if someone is single, they're, they're in a family. Uh, leadership has to come from somewhere. And as we're studying the lives of these kings, uh, these guys... See, these guys thought they were kings, what they, and they were, but, but see, along with that, what that meant in Israel and Judah was that they were to be spiritual leaders, and they failed miserably. Uh, God's called us to be spiritual leaders. Uh, it, it, it is a, um, 
It's the most challenging task in the world to be a spiritual leader. It's not an easy thing, but it's a great privilege and it's a great calling. And if you're a man, you've been called to do it by the fact that you're a man. God wants men to lead. He wants men to lead in their families, and he wants men to lead in the church. Does God like women? Yeah, he likes women. He invented women. He's all for women. But he doesn't want families being led by women. He wants families being led by men. And we've talked about this. Many good women are leading families because they had a husband that took off on them. Uh, that's unfortunate. And we applaud them that they're there and, and staying with the responsibility. But God's plan is that men give spiritual direction in the home and in the church. And we're going to look at a guy tonight uh, who was a very, very successful king. His name is Uzziah. And uh, let's go to Second Chronicles. As we look at the life of uh, Uzziah, he's the last guy on your chart. There, uh, you'll see him in the, uh, in the southern kingdom uh, of Judah. We're going to go tonight to Second Chronicles chapter 26. Uzziah, to me... Uh, We've got a lot of information on Uzziah, a fair amount of information, I should say. Uh, Uzziah is a guy that uh, accomplished a lot in his life. I, I, I am one who always enjoys reading biographies. Um, I, I just went back and finished, I, I reread the two biographies on Churchill that William Manchester wrote. I, I read those about 15 years ago, and I just decided to read them again because they were so good. Um, I've got another one on Reagan that I'm reading up just through his being governor of California. And, um, and I've been reading one on uh, uh, Tolstoy and some other guy. I like reading biographies because you can learn great lessons from biographies. When you read a biography, uh, biographies tend to have uh, essential parts to them. And l let me give you the essential parts of any biography. And if these essential parts aren't there, the biography is not worth reading. I don't care if it's uh, Douglas MacArthur or uh, Babe Ruth or George Washington Carver. If these essentials aren't there, it's not worth reading. Um, let me give you three essential parts of any, of any biography. The, number one is the person's background. Because background explains so much. Uh, background is where they came from. Uh, background is the canvas of their life. Um, that uh, explains later decisions and why they did what they did. So first is you've got the person's background. Secondly, uh, in a biography, you're going to have the person's achievements. Now, if they didn't have any achievements, there's not going to be a biography, right? I mean, no one's going to write a book about them. But uh, in order to get a biography written, there has to be some achievements. So a significant part of any biography is going to be the person's achievements. What's the third part? third part is going to be that person's critical decisions. Because along the way in life, they face some critical decisions. Uh, now, we'll never have a biography written about us, I would imagine. But uh, that explains our lives too. You see, our background explains much about us and who we are and where we come from. Uh, secondly, our achievements. A and can I say, along with the person's achievements, you'd also dovetail under that their failures. Because everybody has achievements, and everybody has, we should, I think we should say achievements slash failures, setbacks. Because we all have them. 
I don't care who you are, uh, you're going to have some achievements, you're going to have some times where you have some accomplishments, but you're going to have some times when you just flat screw up. That's just the way it works. And then thirdly, uh, critical decisions. Uh, Churchill had critical decisions. Uh, Lincoln had critical decisions. You've got critical decisions. And those critical decisions that we make, the thing that's so unique about those critical decisions and what makes them critical is that those decisions have consequences. And we're going to live with the consequences of the decisions, either good or bad. So maybe this month you're making a critical decision. Well, that critical decision is going to have consequences. So many of these kings made critical decisions without thinking about the consequences. And it cost them dearly. I'm going to use this, uh, this breakup of a biography in looking at Uzziah. Because what we got in Second Chronicles 26 is the biographical account of, of this man's life. And so we're going to start off with the background of Uzziah in Second Chronicles 26. And, and we'll find that really outlined for us in verses 1 through 5. And all the people of Judah took Uzziah. Now, he's also referred to as Azariah, A-Z-A-R-I-A-H. He's referred to Azariah over in 2 Kings 14.21, just so you'll know, all right? Talking about the same guy. All the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in the place of his father Amaziah. We looked at Amaziah last week. He built, he built Eloth and restored it to Judah after the king slept with his fathers. Now, let's just stop right here. Because what happens with uh, Uzziah is that he was in a co-reign. He was in a co-regency with his father, it appears, for a certain amount of time. Because 16 is a young time, is a young age for a guy to get on the throne. Uh, apparently, uh, the best we can put together is that Amaziah, his father, ruled for six years and then appointed his 16-year-old son to rule along with him, and he sort of mentored him, and they ruled together for 23 years. <clears throat> then Uzziah alone ruled for another 29 years. So this guy had a long stretch. This guy had a long run. Now, something about Uzziah's background that is really significant is what we are told about him in verses 4 and 5, and we hear about the condition of his heart. It says, and he did right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. And he continued to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding through the vision of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him. Um, he was on the throne as a teenager. And apparently as a teenager and as a young boy, uh, he had a heart for God. He had a heart for God from his early years. Uh, he was seeking the Lord. Uh, you know, seeking the Lord is, is a big concept in Chronicles. Seven times in Second Chronicles, we, we, we read this phrase that they sought the Lord. Uh, that, that's, that's a big phrase in our lives, uh, is seeking the Lord. Uh, you shall seek me and find me when you search with me with your, anybody remember? With your whole heart, you see? It's an issue of the heart. It's an issue of, of, of pursuing. Seeking the Lord is pursuing the Lord. You guys remember football when you played high school football? And, and you do those drills. One, one of the drills I remember 
One of, my, one of the, I, I like this drill. Is that the coach, you know, he gets you out there and everybody starts doing this. Remember that? And he's standing there with the ball. Of course, the coach isn't doing that. He's just standing there having a good time. But he'd take that ball and he'd go. So what's everybody do? You know, you, everybody goes over there and you, you back up. You know, you do that for a while and then he blows the whistle and you take, you know, you go 10 yards and you do a flip and you, you know, big deal. Screw up your neck and you can't walk. It's great. Why do they do that drill? Well, our coach called them, that was the pursuit drill. That you pursue the ball, you see? Uh, good, uh, good defenses pursue. Now, if you're a defensive end, you don't pursue. You gotta stay at home if you're a defensive end because sometimes they'll fake you out and they'll run a reverse and if you've pursued, they're gonna score. But generally speaking, good defenses pursue. You're seeking the ball carry. Uh, what this young man did was that he sought the Lord. He was pursuing after the Lord. You know, we're all pursuing something. We're all pursuing after something. The key to this year, this guy had a great start. And, and how long did he rule? Did you catch that back? We, we, we jumped over that verse. But if you look in chapter 26, verse 3, it says he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. That's a long run. He started out pursuing the Lord. He sought the Lord. That was the condition of his heart. Um, so he got started on the right foot. So that's his background, okay? Now let's jump to the second part of any essential biography, which would be his achievements. And this guy had some achievements. This, uh, this guy had some significant achievements. In uh, verses 6 through 15, we're, we're going to see what this guy did. And believe me, he, uh, he had much to be proud of at his high school reunion. You know what I'm talking about? You guys remember going to your high school reunion? Um, the 20th high school reunion I thought was most interesting because enough time has gone by for life to kind of shake out. And, and you show up to high school reunion, and a lot of times the guy that was, you know, the, the big stud, everybody thought, you know, a lot of times he doesn't even show up uh, just because, uh, well, he, he, he doesn't want to be there. He's embarrassed because he's made some wrong moves, or, or maybe the guy that was voted to be most successful, uh, most likely to succeed, uh, he doesn't show up. Uh, I remember one of the guys in our class that was really a golden boy, he, he, I, I was just, uh, I was stunned when I saw this guy at the reunion. He, he was absolutely lost 20 years after high school. Guy had all this potential. He didn't have a clue. He, he was an emotional midget. He, he was, he was instead of 18, he was 38, but emotionally he was still 18. Uh, I, I mean, it was, I, I remember talking with him for about 10 minutes and thinking, what, what a waste this guy's life is. And, and then some of the people that you hardly knew and they were kind of the nerds and everybody would make fun of, uh, you know, that guy is running a software company now and worth, isn't that funny how that works? And everybody wants to, hey, let's have lunch, you know, you know how that works. Um, Look at the accomplishments and the achievements of Uzziah, beginning with verse 6. <coughs> Excuse me. Now he went out and warred against the Philistines and broke down the wall of Gath and the wall of Jabne and the wall of Ashdod, and he built cities in the areas of Ashdod and among the Philistines. And God helped him against the Philistine and against the Arabians who lived in Gurbal and the Meunites. The Ammonites also gave tribute to Uzziah, and his fame extended to the border of Egypt for he became very strong. 
This guy became strong militarily. He had some real exploits. He took back some cities that had been lost. We're going to see this a little bit later on, how he strengthened the military. But, but militarily, this guy was building up the nation and fortifying the nation, and he was taking back lost ground. Now remember, God was blessing him because he was seeking the Lord. When a nation or a king seeks the Lord, they're inviting God's favor in their life. When we seek the Lord and when we're obedient to the Lord, you know what he does? He favors us, just like you do with your children, just like you do with your grandchildren. But when a kid is disobedient, when a kid is stubborn, you know, that's not a kid that you reward unless you're a liberal. You know what I'm talking about? And when I say liberal, I mean reprobate. I mean someone that has no biblical sense. I, I happen to catch Rush today for about 10 minutes, and he was talking about the governor of Maryland um, who has come up with this new idea for, uh, because, you know, they got the, the prison population is growing and growing, and they've come up with this idea to take guys on probation and pay them for not committing crime. And as Rush was talking about it, he started laughing, and he couldn't stop laughing. Maybe some of you guys heard it. I mean, he hardly could get through the article that he was quoting from. Finally, he just had to go to a commercial break because it was so ludicrous. Uh, in other words, if you, don't commit a if, if you don't commit a crime this month, we'll pay you 25 a month. Well, why pay them 25? Why not pay them 50 or 100 or 200 a month? See, you know what that's called? That's called extortion is what's that called. But you see how convoluted we get? No, okay. That's just an example. When you get away from truth, when you get away from wisdom, when you get away from the fear of the Lord, you get all convoluted, and life doesn't make sense. Uh, usually, you don't honor someone that does what's wrong. You don't pay them to keep them from doing what's wrong. That's not how it works. When we honor the Lord, He honors us. When we disobey the Lord, He disciplines us, just as you do with your kids. Uh, let's continue here because we're going to see that uh, uh, basically what, what happened there in 6 and 7 is that he defeated cities and then he rebuilt cities. Uh, in, in 7 and 8, it talks about some of the battles and the tribute that he was paid. Now in 9, he starts moving into talking about Jerusalem, which was the capital. And he made some real strategic moves in Jerusalem. Moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem. What's the big deal about towers? Well, you can see who's coming. You, you've seen towers on, on walls of walled cities. Uh, these were military posts. These were part of the fortress. You'd have soldiers up there. You'd have lookouts. Uh, it, was a, uh, it, was a, it was a protection for the city. So they just didn't have a wall. He, re, he, he built the towers. And notice what else it says that at the corner gate and at the valley gate and at the corner buttress, and he fortified them. And then he didn't stop there. And he built, he built towers in the wilderness. Now, why would he do that? Because he's strengthening the military throughout the nation. Not just in Jerusalem, but he's going out to the other areas where people are living and the tribes are settled because he wants to protect them from attack. So he's fortifying the entire nation. And then it goes on and says that he hewed many cisterns. I like that. 
I like these cisterns, and I've talked about them before. Um, one of the most impressive things that I have seen in Israel are the cisterns. We don't know much about cisterns today. Uh, we've, never, we've never had cisterns to speak of in America. There's not a lot of water in Israel. So what they would do is that they would hewn, H-E-W-N, they would hewn cisterns out of solid rock. At Megiddo, Har Megiddo, Armageddon, where the last battle will be fought, you can, you can visit the archaeological dig there, and you can walk down something like 278 steps through solid rock, which is one big, huge reservoir underground. That's what a cistern is. So when they get rain and when there would be some floods periodically, they want to capture that water because uh, sometimes if they were sieged as a city, you had to have cisterns. Uh, this was their water supply. So as you're walking down these 278 steps or whatever it is, you can still see the chisel marks in the granite. Somebody, you know what, that was a piece of solid rock and somebody one day got a hammer and they got a chisel and they said, all right, here we go. And that sucker goes, what, 400 feet below the earth and holds millions of gallons of water, you see? Uzziah sent crews to do that. You know, he built towers out there but they, but they hewed cisterns, all right? Uh, for he had much livestock, both in the lowland and in the plain. He also had plowmen and vine dressers in the hill country and the fertile fields. Catch this, for he loved the soil. It's an interesting comment, isn't it? You know, this guy was a good king. I, I, here's what I get from this guy. I think he loved his nation. I think he loved his people. I think he wanted to take care of them. I think he wanted to defend them. I think he wanted to feed them. Uh, he wanted them to be prosperous. Uh, this was a guy who cared and, and, and he loved the soil and you guys love the soil get out there and work on the soil get out there and garden get out there and grow vegetables get, that's good stuff you know because it takes you away from the other stuff and it get, you know you put your hands in soil you put your hands in earth and there's something very therapeutic about that this guy loved the soil in none of the other kings that we've studied have I seen a comment like that have you? He loved the soil. Um, now we're going to get into 11. And what are we talking about here? We're talking about this guy's achievements. 52 years, okay? A 52-year reign. When, when you talk about Churchill, he had some achievements. When you talk about FDR, uh, he had some achievements. Um, uh, some were good, some not so good. Uh, when you talk about uh, uh, any president... Uh, achievements, you know, th th this guy did some significant things. Now you're going to get into the specifics on the army and what he did with them because uh, he really reorganized the military to make it more effective. Rumsfeld would have liked this guy. Moreover, Uzziah had an army ready for battle. Did you catch that? They were ready for battle, which entered combat by divisions, according to the number of their muster. There's a good A&M word, you know prepared by J.L., the scribe, and Micaiah, the official, under the direction of Hananiah, one of the king's officers. The total numbers of the heads of the households of valiant warriors was 2,600. <clears throat> and under their direction was an elite army. Not an army, an elite army. 307,500 who could wage war with great power to help the king against the enemy. Moreover, Uzziah prepared for all the army. Shields, spears, helmets, body armor, bows, sling stones. He believed in a strong military. He believed in a strong defense. 
Why did he believe in that? Because he was a godly man. And uh, he, he didn't mistake the hearts of people. He didn't think, he, he didn't believe in appeasement. He believed that sometime he had to fight. And so he got him ready to fight. Now catch this, 15, I love this. And in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, he made engines of war invented by skillful men to be on the towers and on the corners for the purpose of shooting arrows and great stones. He, he put catapults all around Israel. Well, these, you've, you've seen those in old movies, you know? These great catapults with these great boulders, and they had them ready, they had them loaded, they were locked and loaded. You didn't miss with Jerusalem under this guy. And, and I mean, he was really an innovator, and as a result, look what it says. Um, Hence his fame spread afar. Uh, this guy, uh, this guy wasn't sitting around playing croquet and sipping tea with old ladies, was he? This guy was a leader. This guy, I'll tell you what else he was. He was an administrator. I was reading recently about Hitler. And uh, something I didn't know is that, you know, we, we all know Hitler could, could move those vast stadiums of people with his rhetoric, uh, with his hypnotic speech. But what I didn't know about uh, Hitler was that he was just an outstanding administrator. He had great administrative ability and was able to rebuild that army and get those munitions plants going and all that. The guy was good. This guy was good. And his fame, these are his achievements, okay? Now, why are we going into all this? Well, because this is his story, and th th this guy made it, if you will. This guy, we call him today, was an entrepreneur, this guy made things happen. This guy put deals together. This guy left his mark. If, if he was around today, he'd be on the cover of Fortune. He'd be on CNBC because of all his... He'd write, probably write a, a, a book, a business book that, that would be number one on Amazon. You know, about, uh, you, know, you know, here's what leaders do. This guy was a good leader. His fame, he was so good his fame spread afar. And then you've got a chilling statement that's made about Uzziah. And the statement is this. Hence his fame spread afar. I'm in verse 15. For he was marvelously helped until he was strong. Marvelously helped by whom? By God. See, all this stuff that was happening, God was blessing him. He was experiencing the favor of God. He was experiencing... Uh, the graciousness of God because he was seeking God with his heart. He was marvelously helped until he became strong. And when he became strong, something happened in this guy's life. When this guy became strong, say, uh, what do you mean strong? When he became strong militarily. When he became strong um, financially because the nation was on good, solid financial bedrock at this particular point in their history. When, uh, when they had the livestock and the produce and they had the cisterns, and they, I mean, they were ready. They, this guy was just strong. He was famous. He was well-known. You see, God had given him favor. God had honored him. God had uh, uh, put his hand upon his works and his endeavors. God had prospered him because the guy's heart was seeking the Lord. He was marvelously helped until... He was strong. Now, I'll be honest with you. That scares me. Because how many of these kings, how many of these guys have we seen who start out well 
and then they screw up. You know, I wrote a book in 95. I, I just, be honest with you, I wrote it for me. And they just happened to print it. But, but I really didn't write that for other people. I wrote it for me, and I called it Finishing Strong. And the reason I wrote that book is that as a young man, some men that had been very influential in my life for Christ, one by one, started to tube their life and walk away from the Lord and screw up their lives. And it just, it, it just mesmerized me what had happened to these guys. Uh, they walked away from marriages. They walked away from the Lord. They walked away from their integrity. They just, they just screwed up. And, and, I, and, I, and, I, and as I looked at that, I thought, you know, I don't want to do that. But they're better men than I am. If they're doing it, why would I not do it? And, and it got me on a quest. And then I started studying these kings. And I began to realize the majority of men in the Bible who started strong did not finish strong. What's the name of the game? The name of the game is to finish strong. You want to finish strong in your marriage. You want to finish strong in your integrity. Uh, that's the name of the game. The name of the game is not to start strong. The name of the game is to finish strong. It's to, it's to keep a sustained effort. That's why Theodore Roosevelt made the statement that he, Roosevelt said the greatest thing a man can ever do is stay married. He didn't say the greatest thing a man can ever do is get married. It's relatively easy to get married, isn't it? I mean, all you do is rent a tux. She does everything else for months. I mean, what are they doing? Anyway, that's another issue. But they're working on it and flowers and that. I mean, you know. And you're out. What are you doing? Yeah, you're watching football and, you know, you're playing golf. And, and you, oh, yeah, honey, that's great. You, yeah, well, you just go ahead and work. Yeah, I'll trust you. You don't care. I mean, you're a guy. All you got to do is show up with your tux. That's it. You know, yeah, that's, that's all you got to do. It's easy in a ring. Yeah, you don't, don't want to forget that. It, it's easy to get married. It's hard to stay married. It's hard to finish strong in marriage. Why? Because life gets tough, and there are disappointments, and there are issues that you don't agree on, and... Uh, there are expectations, and you thought, yeah, but I thought, well, yeah, but I thought. Everybody in this room has that. Everybody. It's easy to start strong. You heard about the guy, didn't you? Went in for his physical. Doctor said, I'm sorry. But you've got, at best, 24 hours to live. The guy can't believe it. He goes home. His wife says, how'd it go? He says, you're not going to believe this. The doctor said, I've got maybe 24 hours to live. And she couldn't believe it. They're in shock. And After a few minutes, she said, well, well, honey, if that's true, how would you like to spend our, our last hours together? And, and he said, well, I, to be honest with you, I just kind of like to relive our honeymoon. That was such a wonderful time. And so they did. For the next four or five hours, it was just wonderful. It was amazing. And uh, she said, well, honey, I, 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 I've got 
I, I'm sorry, I'm just going to have to go to sleep. And he said, no. He said, no, let's, oh, this is great. And, and, and she said, hey, listen, I've got to get up and go to work in the morning. But you've got nothing to do. I don't think I'll tell that again. That really didn't work. That, that didn't go over too well. See, marriages tend to start really well, but it, it's tough to sustain them. It's tough to sustain anything, isn't it? Because after a while, you, you know, you can't, you can't always live at this level of, of emotional intensity. That, that's why we, you know, there, there's something called infatuation as opposed to commitment. What's infatuation? Infatuation is where, where you know, you, you get this young couple and they always want to be with each other. They just always, and they, they just, they're just so in love. They're not in love, they're in love. You know, there's just all this, just, just romance. You know what I'm talking about? You can't live at that level. You can't, you can't exist at that level of emotional intensity. You, you wouldn't get anything done. You're worthless. Uh, you'll never contribute to society because you're just lawlawing each other. You see? And there's a period of that. You know what I'm talking about. That's puppy love stuff. Puppy, that's not real life. That's just not real life. Real, real life is having a mortgage and, and kids and sick kids and, you know, college and stuff and somebody's ill and you're trying to do this and the business isn't working and, you know, someone's sick and cancer and all. That's real life. See, that's what you sustain. This guy started strong. God was with him. God blessed him. He was marvelously helped until he was strong. So what happened when he got strong? He got screwed up. Because he forgot why he was made strong in the first place and where the favor of God came from. Where the blessing came from. This guy started reading his own press clippings. That's what happened to this guy. Um... Quite frankly, this guy was an overachiever. Uh, I, I mean, he did it, and he did it well. Uh, but you know what happened to this guy? His achievements ruined him. He was marvelously helped until he was strong. See, when he achieved all those, and all those things he was after, that's what ruined him. Uh, now, now, how can this be? Let's do a little diagnosis of this guy's heart. And a little, let me ask you something. Do you think his heart changed from when he was a kid to the time this statement is made? He was marvelously helped until he was strong? Well, you're going to see in just a minute what he did. Uh, here's what happens with men who are driven. I think this guy was driven. Uh, you don't do what he did without having some drive. Now, we're not to be passive and we're to go out and we're to accomplish and we're to excel but it's 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 possible to become driven to the point of being obsessive compulsive it's possible to get to the point of being so driven that all that counts are your achievements that's the problem with our careers is that we get so focused on achieving there that we forget the things that that are important it's tough to keep all this stuff in balance you see uh, here are some things that here are some suspicions I have about Uzziah that caused his heart to change. Number one, uh, 
when a man begins to spend more and more time on the externals and neglects the internals, he's asking for trouble. Let me do that again. When a man begins to spend more and more time on the externals and neglects the internals, you're asking for trouble. There was a time in his life, when I talk about the internals, I'm talking about his heart for God. I'm talking about his love for God. I'm talking about who he was on the inside. But when everything is external, when everything is accomplishment and achieve and do this and this and this, and you neglect the internal, you're on the road to ruin. So we've got to be, we, we have got to be developing that heart for God. The heart for God is not an external. The heart for God is an internal. He neglected it. Uh, secondly, it appears to me that his character did not keep up with his accomplishments. You say, well, how, why are you saying that? Well, let me just give you one more, and then I'll show you why I think that. His character did not keep up with his accomplishments. Uh, here's one more. His quick and rapid success was treacherous ice that caused him to lose his equilibrium. Say that again. His quick and rapid success was treacherous ice that caused him to lose his equilibrium. You know one of the problems of success that comes fast and success that comes early? You're not ready for it. You're too young. So we take these young guys that are great athletes. I don't care if it's football, if it's basketball, if it's baseball. They're young. They're strong. They're paid millions of dollars. There's a, there's a ministry called Pro Athletes Outreach. And uh, their, their ministry is to pro athletes. Much of what they do is to professional athletes after their careers are over. Because, and I can't remember the exact statistic, but Norm Evans can tell you how many of these guys are bankrupt by the time they're 35. Why? Well, they, were just, they just weren't ready for the success. Hey, can you imagine making that kind of money when you were 24 years old? Would you have done much better? You see? The, 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 and, and you get that kind of money, and the people that come along, and you think they're your friend, and they're saying everything, and then they, all they want is a piece of you. They just want your money, but you don't know that because you're, you're young. See, you're, 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 you're 24 instead of 44. See, 44, you've had some failure. you had some disappointment. Now you're wising up a little bit, you see? But it's too much success, too soon, too fast. It's slippery ice, and they can't handle it. How many of those guys lose marriages because of the women that are throwing themselves? You know, you know what I'm talking about? See, this guy had a lot of success. And see, I think a lot of times we pray, we ask God to give us success and to give us this. But you see, if my character is not being developed along with my success and my accomplishments, I'm in trouble because I can't handle it. I can't handle what's coming my way, and it'll ruin me as it ruined Uzziah. Um, Warren Wearsby once said this. He said, if God puts something in my hand without first doing something to my heart, my character will lag behind my achievements, and that is the way to ruin. There's great wisdom there. So, you say, Steve, uh, what's the big deal? You, you, it was, he was marvelously helped until he was strong. Well, note what happens to this guy in verse 16. Because here you're going to see a dividing line in his life. 
<clears throat> Remember our biography? We made three observations about biographies. You've got the person's background. Secondly, you've got the person's achievements. This guy had plenty of achievements. What's the third thing that's in any biography? The person's critical, what? Decisions. Here's a critical decision in verse 16. But when he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly. And he was unfaithful to the Lord his God. Now, I want to stop there for a minute. Uh, but I got this email, and uh, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Things are going well, and there was an attachment. And, and so I downloaded it, and it took a while to download. And it was this article that had been written about this guy and what he had done in this achievement, and da, 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 da. And I read it, and I thought, well, well, good. But I thought it was kind of weird because I hadn't talked to that guy, and I don't know how long, and all of a sudden, out of the blue, I get this thing, and, and there was some article written about the guy and his achievements. And, and quite frankly, yeah, here's how I interpret it. I think the guy was proud. I think he was real proud. I think he was blowing his own horn. I wonder how many other guys around the country send emails to. You know what? You don't need to do that. You know what that tells me? That tells me somebody's really insecure. Hey, something like that happens? Hey, thanks, Lord. That's great. Just, you know, just fly under the radar. You don't need to hire a PR firm. You know, just thank God for his graciousness and his goodness to you. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, Proverbs says. When we get strong, we tend to get proud. Okay? Now here's what happens. <clears throat> when he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly. And he was unfaithful to the Lord his God. For Now here's what he does. This is unbelievable. For he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Now let me ask you something. This guy is a king. Who is supposed to burn incense on the altar of incense? The king? The priest, the priest. This guy was not a priest. This guy was a king. What the heck was he doing burning incense in the temple? Um, well, that's what they wanted to know, because if you look at the next verse, then Azariah the priest entered after him, and with him 80 priests of the Lord valiant men now why were they valiant men because they're taking on the king and the king is sovereign and the king has the power of life and death these guys had some guts these guys put themselves on the line he had no business being in there so did they just kind of look at each other and say well gosh maybe we ought to say something well, what shall we say? Well, I don't, well, who's going to say it? Well, why don't you say it? Well, I don't want to say it. I, I mean, I don't want to get involved. I'm only two years away from retirement. <laughs> and, you know, I, I mean, it's another year before I'm fully vested. And, uh, you know, I mean, uh, gosh, I mean, I couldn't put my, I mean, I, 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 mean, I couldn't put my, uh, my, my finances on the line here. I mean, that might affect me financially. And, and I've got a family to take care of. I don't see any of that, do you? 
This sucker's in the temple doing what he shouldn't be doing. So Azariah and 80 other guys, valiant men, and they opposed Uzziah the king and said to him, it is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priest, the sons of Aaron who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful and will have no honor from the Lord God. But Uzziah, you want to see a change of heart from when he was a kid? But Uzziah, with a censer in his hand for burning incense, was enraged. Enraged. Why was he enraged? Because he was the king. And he just wasn't any king. He was Uzziah, the builder of the military. He was Uzziah who took back the cities from the Philistines. He was Uzziah who had uh, launched this agricultural program uh, that they hadn't seen anything like that since the days of Solomon. This guy was a stud. He was just not any. He wasn't one of the nine Democrat candidates. He was, this guy was a legend. And he was a legend in his own mind and in the minds of others because his fame had spread afar. He was enraged. And while he was enraged with the priest, now what should this guy have done? When the priest said, you have no business, get out, you're not, what should he have done? And let me ask you something. Let's say when he was a kid, he had done this. Now, he wouldn't have done it when he was a kid because he was seeking the Lord. But let's say he screwed up and he went in there and they confronted him. What do you think he would have done? What you know about his heart? They confront him. I think he would have said, you're right. But he gets enraged. And while he was enraged with the priest, the leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord beside the altar of incense. See, he was enraged at the priest that they would dare to question him. So what God did was that God got his attention and let him, let him know that this is not an issue with the priest. This is an issue with me and the priest are representing me. You have violated me and you violated my law and you violated my covenant. So he gets enraged, boom, leprosy. He's a leper. Verse 20. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him. And behold, he was leprous on his forehead, and they hurried him out of there. Now catch this. And he himself also hastened to get out because the Lord had smitten him. See, that's significant. Gosh. See, you know what's so sad about this? This is what it took to get this guy's attention. It never should have gotten to this point. But see, when the leprosy broke out on his forehead... He knew. Not only did they hurry him out, he himself hurried himself out. He knew. He knew he'd cross the line. Uh, do you think, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll come back to this. Let, let's read 21, and I want to I draw a few lessons from this guy's life. 21, and King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. He lived in a separate house, being a leper. Now, he's still king, but he couldn't live in the palace. For he was cut off from the house of the Lord, and Jotham his son was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, first to last, the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, is written. So Uzziah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the field of the grave, which belonged to the kings, for they said, He is a leper. And Jotham his son became king in his place. This guy was a leper till the day he died. I, 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 this, this is just a tragic story to me. Um, because here's a man that had a heart for God, and did something that was so illogical. It, 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 it was absolutely nonsensical. Um, 
Offering incense is an act of worship. Uh, Now, this shows how deeply his heart was immersed in pride. Um, You know, pride is is an amazing thing. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a little book called Mere Christianity. It's a classic. Uh, And in that book, he has a chapter called The Greatest Sin. And I read that when I was 19 years old. It's one of the most profound six or seven pages I've ever read in my life. Uh, The greatest sin is pride, and he talks about pride. And he talks about the nature of pride and what pride is. And as he's describing pride, just as only Lewis can do, pride is really the essence of wanting to be just a little bit better than anybody else. You know, it's the right kind of pride. You're proud of your son. You're proud of your family. But there's a wrong kind of pride where you just, see what is pride? You just want to be a little bit better than your competition. You see, always. You never want to be outdone. You always want to be number one. You always be looking out for number one. You always want to be at the top. You always, see, that's, that's, that's pride. And he's doing this chapter, and, as he, and he comes to the conclusion of the chapter, he says, now, as we've discussed this whole issue of pride, if you've read this chapter and if you're thinking to yourself, well, this is all very interesting, but none of it applies to me, then you should understand that you are the one who is deeply immersed in pride more than anyone else. Because the very nature of pride is that pride blinds. And the person who is most proud doesn't see it. Hmm. I've been reading about Tolstoy. You know the guy who wrote War and Peace? Maybe the greatest novelist of all history. This is from the book The Intellectuals by Paul Johnson. It talks about the intellectuals um, when you send your kid off to college, he's going to study the lives of Rousseau and Marx and Tolstoy and Sartre and all these other guys who were reprobates, you see, and who lived hideous lives. Here's what he says about Tolstoy. Of all the intellectuals we're, looking at, we're examining, Tolstoy was the most ambitious. Uh, his audacity is awe-inspiring and at times terrifying. He came to believe that by the resources of his own intellect and by virtue of the spiritual force he felt welling within him, he could effect a moral transformation of all society. His aim, as he put it, was to make of the spiritual realm of Christ a kingdom on this earth. Now, what's really interesting in that is that he didn't believe in Christ. He saw himself as part of the apostolic succession of intellectuals, which included Moses, Isaiah, Confucius, The early Greeks, Buddha, Socrates, down to Pascal, Spinoza, Feuerbach, and all those often unnoticed and unknown, who, taking no teaching on trust, thought and spoke sincerely upon the meaning of life. Uh, uh, Tolstoy said that, he said, I am a remarkable man, both as regard to my capacity and my eagerness to work. I have not yet met a single man who is morally as good as I, and who believed that I do not remember an instance in my life when I was not attracted to what is good and not ready to sacrifice anything to it. Uh, he felt in his own soul immeasurable grandeur. He was the greatest man he had ever met. He was the most righteous man that he had ever met, conveniently forgetting the fact that all of his life he habitually frequented, frequented prostitutes and had gonorrhea and passed it on to his wife. Just conveniently forgot about that. Absolutely blinded by that, you see. Why? Because he was proud. See, when you get proud, you lose your logic. That's what happened to this guy. That's what happened to Uzziah. Here's something else about uh, 
Uzziah. Uh, just thinking about the process. Remember we talked about his achievements? When somebody gets successful, see, success is a trap. The more successful you become and the more achievements you accumulate, the more slippery the ice that you are walking upon. Success is dangerous. Success can bring you down. When, when you have a measure of success, you need to walk carefully. And you need to walk circumspectly. And you need to guard your heart. Because what happens is, is that the fact that you've had some success and you've had some accomplishment, that pride begins to well up. And you think that you deserve certain things that, quite frankly, you don't deserve. How could this guy who was a king, who knew the law, how could he go in and offer incense? You know what I think? I think this guy had way too much privilege. Way too much privilege. I like privilege and you like privilege. But too much privilege can be a curse. Uh, because when you have too much privilege, you know what begins to happen? You begin to expect it. And you begin to deserve it. And you begin to think that it's owed to you. And see, that's not logical. You're a recipient of grace and mercy, and so am I. And see, when, when you have these accomplishments and you have these, um, these achievements, uh, we begin to get enamored with ourselves, and, and we think we deserve, and we think we're above the rest. See, that's why prosperity can be a dangerous thing. Prosperity can be a, 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 a slippery slope in terms of one seeking the Lord. We don't talk about this a lot, but it's a spiritual issue. Let me give you two final thoughts on this guy. Here's, here's the first thought. First thought is this. Don't despise the input of trusted friends. Let me give that to you one more time. Don't despise the input of trusted friends. Now, what do I mean by that? When I talk about the input of trusted friends, I'm talking about accountability. These uh, 80 priests were on his team. They were for him. They were committed to him. And because they were committed to him, they confronted him. Don't despise the input of trusted friends. Now, you've got critics, and I've got critics, and all they are are critics. I'm not talking about critics. I'm talking about people who love you. This guy had an aversion to accountability. He's in there offering incense. The priest shows up with the 80 others. They confront him, and he got enraged. You know why he got enraged? He was, he was not going to submit himself to anybody because he was the king. Interesting in, in looking at this, uh, this life of Tolstoy, um, he, he was, uh, uh, two comments were made about him. Uh, number one, it, uh, somewhere in the book it said his spirit was authoritarian. You know what that means? You're in total charge. Uh, Saddam Hussein was an authoritarian. Nobody crosses an authoritarian. It's possible to be an authoritarian in your home. This guy was an authoritarian in his kingdom. Nobody crossed him. Why? Because he had an aversion to accountability. He wasn't going to listen to anybody. Second thing 
that, that uh, Johnson wrote in this chapter on Tolstoy. It talked about the fact that he had a fierce unwillingness to be ruled by others. A fierce unworthiness, a, a, a fierce uh, unwillingness to be ruled by others. Well, you know what? If you're going to follow Christ and you've got a fierce unwillingness to be ruled, you've got a problem. Because Jesus is Lord. That means king. That means absolute. That means sovereign. And he's just not king. He's king of kings and Lord of lords, and he's king of your life. What God does is that he puts people in our lives who love us and are committed to us, and when we get off base, they love us enough to come to us and to talk to us. Not because they're against us, but because they're for us. This guy had gotten his heart to such a place that he couldn't take good counsel from anybody. Was it good counsel which they gave to him? Get out of the temple. Was that good counsel? Yeah. Did he take it? No. He became enraged. You ever get enraged at your wife? Because what she said is right. And you're just not man enough to admit it. I've done that. I mean, I'm not going to do it up here in front of you guys. But I'll do it at home sometimes. Because who's going to know? You see? And you do the same thing. Uh, but see, our kids see that, don't they? See, they see that's authoritarian. You don't want to be that way. Um, God puts people in our lives who love us and who love us enough to tell the truth. This guy had an aversion to being accountable to anybody. That's what ruined him. It took leprosy to get his attention. You know, I, I mean, I can't prove this, but as I've looked at this guy's life, I, and he was a leper for the rest of it, you, know, I, I, you know what I think? I think it broke him. I think he regretted this for the rest of his life. I think he looked back and thought, what a fool I have been. Look at all that God had done for me. What happened to me? It's a bitter way to live. It's a bitter way to die. Uh, Second thought, don't despise your gifts and calling. Don't despise your gift and calling. So where do you get that? Right, here's where I get it. Uzziah was a king. He wanted to be a priest. Don't make that mistake. God has given you gifts um, you need to know what those gifts are. God has given you strengths. Do you know what those strengths are? Uh, some of you do, and some of you don't. If you don't know what those gifts and strengths are, you need, to talk to some you need to talk to some people who you know well, and more importantly, who know you well, and just flat out ask them. Just talk to them. Say, hey, you know what you could do for me? I, I'm trying to figure out, what do you think my strengths are? See, the reason you want to know what your strengths are is that those are gifts that God gives to you. Um, God has a work and God has a purpose for every guy in this room. Where we get in trouble is where God gifts us in an area, but we decide we want to do something else. I've been working on this Uzziah guy. I'll be honest with you. I started studying this guy in 1984. This guy mesmerizes me. He amazes me. 
This week I'm reading about Tolstoy. I don't even know if I can find this. You know, Tolstoy may have been the greatest novelist in all of history. And I'm reading along about this guy. This guy's a real jerk. All of these guys are jerks. And I'm thinking, these are the intellectuals. So you, can't, you send your kid off to UT, you send your kid off to Oklahoma, you can't, you know, and you know who they're going to go study? They're going to go study these guys who lived lives of absolute debauchery. So far, everybody I've read in this book had an illegitimate son that they would not acknowledge and ignored. Every one of them. Every one of them. And they all thought they were such great men of moral virtue. They were trying to change the world, but they couldn't take care of their own families. They, they all had a problem with prostitutes. They all had venereal disease so far. You know the amazing thing about, uh, what's this guy's name? Tolstoy? Greatest novelist? Where is this thing? On 114? You know the amazing thing about this guy? Uh, here, let, let, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wade into this paragraph, and then we're done, okay? Just hold on here for a second. This is wild. Aristocrat. This guy was... He was an aristocrat from Russia. Uh, he, he, he had a lot of money. He inherited a 4,000-acre estate. He had 400 choice uh, horses on his stud farm. He had 330 servants. I mean, this guy was an aristocrat. He had a lot of privilege like Uzziah had privilege. Aristocrats under the old order found it difficult to shake off the notion that writing was for their inferiors. Lord Byron never regarded poetry as his most important work, which was to assist the subject peoples of Europe to achieve their independence. He felt himself called to lead as befitted his class. So did Tolstoy. Uh, he felt called to do more than lead, to prophesy, and at times play the Messiah. What then was he doing spending his time writing? To write stories, Tolstoy said, is stupid and shameful. Did you get that? Here's a guy who may be the greatest novelist in all of history who looked at the gift he'd been given and he said it's stupid and it's shameful. Really? A gift that God had given him. He spent very little of his time writing. Uh, three times he tried to redo the educational system of Russia. Uh, he, he tried to implement an agricultural program. He did everything except what God had gifted him to do. Quite frank. And you know what? Whenever he got away from his gifts, his family was in chaos. I can't show you every incident. But when, his wife was always after him to write because when he would write and work in his area of gifts, the, the family would calm down. Isn't that wild? I used to work with a guy who was a very gifted administrator. If you ever complimented him on the fact that he was an administrator, you would know what he'd say? He would say, he'd, he'd say, I'm not an administrator. First time he told me that, I was in shock. He's, he, he may be the best administrator I've ever seen. But he didn't want to be an administrator. He didn't want to be an administrator. He wanted to be a great teacher. Can I tell you the truth about him? He's probably an average teacher. He was a Babe Ruth of administrators. And whenever he had a free moment, you know what he was doing? He was administrating. He was drawn to it. He was good at it. People kept giving him stuff because he was so precise and he knew how to manage people and do that. He loved it. But he didn't want to be known as an administrator. You know what this guy, did? to this day, you know what he does? He denies the calling that God's put on his life because he thinks this is more important. 
What's God called you to do? Are you good with your hands? That's a gift. So here we are. I'm going to stop thinking about it. Here we are at Stonebrook Community Church. Okay? So everything is focused here because the Word of God is central. Okay? Now, let me ask you something. Should Chuck, should Chuck be working for IBM? Do you think? I, I don't think Chuck should be working for IBM, personally, because he's been given a gift to open up the Word of God. Would you agree with that? For him to be uh, an exec down at IBM, I think, would be a mistake, right? And for him to want to do that would be a mistake, all right? Uh, because he's got a gift and he's got a calling. Okay, now, so here we are in this room right here, and we got all these seats and chairs and everything, okay. We're, and and we got to get some land, and we're going to build a deal, and we got to get space for the kids and all. This is all big, it's important stuff, it's good stuff. And as I think Chuck said, or, or Stan said on Sunday, it's going to be here after we're dead. That's why it's important. All right, now how is that all going to happen? Can Chuck do that? No. What about those chairs you're sitting on? Did you make those chairs? No. Somebody made those chairs. Some of you guys could have made those chairs. Some of you guys could have started a company that made those chairs. Let me tell you something. Without those chairs, we got a problem here. You see? Somebody's been gifted to make those chairs. Someone's been gifted to work with their hands. Somebody's a craftsman. You guys get what I'm talking about? So God gives gifts. When they put the temple and tabernacle together, the Spirit of God came on men and gave them the ability to do that. Should they be out there farming? No, they need to be using their gifts and skills. You see? So there's money that comes in. Someone's got to manage that money. Someone's got to budget that money. Someone's, now see, is that what you're called to do? Don't despise that. That's important. Yeah, I'd like to be a preacher. You're not a preacher. You're a CPA. Someone's got to do that to keep the preachers out of jail. <laughs> do you see how it all works? And see, when preachers think they're CPAs, they wind up in jail. How many times have we seen that? You guys get what I'm seeing here? Do you understand the point? Find out what your gifts and calling from God is. Find out the post that God has assigned you to and stick with it. Now, if you're not doing what you're called to do, then go find what that is. You guys see the point? He got away from what he was called to do because he thought the grass was greener. The grass isn't greener. God's called you to be faithful in your area of giftedness. I could milk this guy for two hours. But uh, you know what? You're tired and so am I. Let's pray. Uh, Father, our, our heart goes out to this guy. He was one of the good kings. He got, uh, I think he got ambushed by his achievements and he got ambushed by pride. I don't think he ever intended for that to happen. I know when it happens to me, I, I don't intend for it to happen. And I know these guys don't. But we, we do get ambushed. I remember Joe Aldrich saying that Satan will wait 40 years to spring a trap. Lord, we have to walk so carefully. We have to be, um, we have to be physicians of our hearts. We, we need to look for the wrong symptoms before they get out of control. And, and Lord, as we've studied these guys over the last eight, nine weeks, 
The thing that stands out to me is this is what they didn't do. They didn't self-diagnose spiritually. They didn't look for the warning signs. We know what the warning signs of cancer and heart disease are. We need to know what the warning signs of spiritual shipwreck are. So, Lord, make us uh, sensitive to your word and sensitive to your spirit. Thank you for this time we've had here in this uh, fall season to study these kings. We're grateful that Thanksgiving is coming and Christmas. Uh, we're so thankful that we know you and that we've received so much from your hand. Uh, we, we have been incredibly blessed. We just acknowledge, Lord, that uh, that all comes from you and we honor you and we thank you. Without you, we'd have none of it. We're not the source of it. You are. Uh, Christmas is coming. A lot of presents, a lot of stuff, a lot of activity. We, uh, we have chosen that time to remember that you sent your son into the world. Don't, lo don't, don't let us lose sight of that. He's our savior. And he not only saves us from sin, he saves us from ourselves. We, uh, we bow before him tonight. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.